Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell. Since 1935, Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. And it is my pleasure to welcome on the program retired United States Air Force Major General Clint Crozier, who heads Amazon Web Services Aerospace and Satellite Solutions business. He retired uh, from uniform in 2020 as the first director of the Space Forces Force Planning uh, after a stellar 33-year career, sir. Uh, great to have you on the program. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Vago. Thank you for having me. Uh, absolute uh, pleasure. And before we get started, Leonardo DRS sponsors our global coverage. Fortress Information Security sponsors our weekly cyber report. And Northrop Grumman supports our cyber coverage overall. And General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our coverage of strategy. First, let's start with uh, the news. Uh, you guys are having your major annual conference. Uh, and there is the final selection of the 10 companies who are part of Cohort 2 for AWS's uh, Space Accelerator Walk us through the big news uh, for the year, uh, because you had 10 companies last year. You have 10 companies uh, this year. Who are they and how are you guys helping them uh, get to a better place, if you will? Yeah, Vago. Well, thank you very much. And we are really excited about that announcement, to be sure. You know, last year we had just recently established this business, this aerospace and satellite business. And we established this business basically because we wanted to double down on the cloud's ability to support the global space industry. And so we put out a call for companies that wanted to learn how to build their missions and push innovation across the space industry using the cloud and all the advanced technologies the cloud provides. And so uh, last year was our first cohort. It was very successful. So uh, we uh, put out applications again a few weeks ago, and we had hundreds of companies from around the globe apply. And the hard part was trying to down-select a 10 that had the most creative ideas for one, how they build and operate on the cloud, but two, how they solve interesting uh, problems associated with the space industry. And so we have announced today who those 10 companies are uh, in the cohort, and we'll be going forward with uh, starting that up here in the next couple of weeks. Really exciting. And uh, do you want to mention uh, the names of those 10 companies? Two, two things I would say. One, is that we, like I said, we we're really looking for companies that had unique ways for uh, uh, applying the cloud and cloud solutions to the mission sets and where they could solve interesting uh, uh, problems. So uh, Albedo uh, out of Austin, Texas, Blue Sky Analytics uh, based out of the Netherlands, uh, EOS Data Analytics out of California, Epsilon 3 out of California, Cayenne Space in Boulder, Colorado, MagDrive uh, out of the UK, Mission Space in Luxembourg, TerraDepth out of Austin, Texas, the Exploration Company out of Germany, and Zynair Tech out of California. And so as you see, we selected companies from across the US, from across Asia, uh, and across Europe. And let me just highlight a few of these really quick. So I want to tell you about some things that are really exciting here. Um, so Blue Sky Analytics, um, this is a climate tech startup who's using satellite derived data and they want to build workloads on the cloud uh, to help support climate understanding and climate management. Uh, MagDrive, I mentioned out of Oxford, uh, UK, they're developing an electric propulsion system for spacecraft. Today, all of our spacecraft systems are powered uh, chemically. And so this could be a game changer. And so they want to build the mission uh, on the AWS cloud. And, 
And then we've got a company called Exploration, as I said, that's building a module and reusable orbital vehicle uh, that will give us better access into low Earth orbit and to the moon. So some really, really interesting tech being developed here. And, and, and what are uh, the selection criteria and what is the financial assistance uh, they get, right? I mean, this is definitely a case where no books, no Buck Rogers. This is an absolute massive uh, vote of confidence in them. But what are the selection criteria and, and what is the kind of assistance they get at the end of the day? Well, so, so we had each of these companies develop a technical proposal about what was the problem that they wanted to solve, because we really are about solving some of the biggest problems in the space industry, like propulsion and like long-range communications and, and more efficient uh, operations. And so the first piece was we wanted to see them build a pitch that showed us they were working on a really important operational problem. The second piece was their understanding of how the cloud and cloud applications could help solve those problems problems. And then the third piece, along with our partner, Alchemist, uh, which is an accelerator uh, organization, we looked at their business model and how likely they were to be able to uh, uh, successfully execute on the other side of the space accelerator. And so those were the key pieces. And then, of course, in terms of financial incentive, it always helps. We believe learning to operate on the cloud more effectively and push technology innovation is a big benefit of itself. But we did offer out of the hundreds of companies that applied, the final 10 that were selected, we did offer them up to $100,000 in AWS credits as they work in sandboxes and explore and learn how to really push their missions forward on the cloud. Uh, and, uh, and, and I'm sure they're all going to put it to good use because any startup will tell you that uh, $100,000 is nothing to sneeze at, especially if it's in the kind of services uh, that you guys are, are delivering. Um, I want to ask sort of more strategically, right? I mean, for the audience and the audience members who may not understand, right? Folks have a sense of what AWS does, even though I think half the time, sir, they, they don't fully understand what AWS does. Uh, but talk to us about specifically what's the mission of your group, the Aerospace and Satellite Solutions Group. What is that you guys are aiming to do? And what is it that you guys do that nobody else does from your perspective? Well, I'm really excited about that, uh, Vago. And, you know, after I retired from the U.S. Air Force and after uh, serving as the lead planner for the stand-up and creation of the Space Force, uh, the really exciting opportunity was AWS was at a place where it was looking out across the space industry and it was seeing the rapid growth, whether it's the, uh, the, the number of satellites being launched every year, which will triple in the next five years, or the number of new companies with new innovative technology. And AWS recognized that the cloud was uniquely postured and, and suited, as I've said, to really support those workloads. And so we developed this team, this aerospace and satellite team, uh, and we went out and we brought in industry experts from every part of the space mission, whether it's flying satellites, launching rockets, designing spacecraft, operating ground stations. We have experts from every part of government and industry that are experts in those missions. And so our thesis and what we've proven out and what our customers are responding to is when you build a team with deep experience and expertise on the cloud, and then couple that with a team of people that have vast and deep experience in the space enterprise, when you combine those two, it really unleashes a powerful spirit of innovation that literally can change the face of the industry. And so we believe we're creating a new industry in and of itself that I call the space cloud industry. In other words, how do you leverage optimally advanced technologies on the cloud to support growth and innovation in the space industry?
You're timing this uh, at an extraordinary uh, uh, period, uh, right? And I know you guys work with a multiplicity of companies. Maxar is one of them uh, that you guys support, uh, and certainly a company that's been doing extraordinary work in helping support Ukraine uh, in its uh, against uh, Russian aggression. Um, how is the founding of the Space Force? I mean, you really, uh, you know, 30, almost 33 years of your career were uh, in the Air Force. Uh, the, the tail end of it was was in the Space Force, uh, obviously, with the brand new service. Um, talk to us a little bit about um, how the introduction of Space Force has actually changed the game and changed the way, um, change how you guys are going to do business going forward. Well, I, that's a really important question. And frankly, you know, General Jay Raymond, the first chief of space operations for the Space Force, he was very deliberate about that. You know, we worked really hard when we set up the Space Force to identify, one, it was going to be important that you had now a, a chief that sat on the Joint Chiefs of Staff to advise the whole of military and the whole of government about how we need to secure and protect space. So that was value by itself. But what General Raymond did is he brought us in and, and in our initial planning activities, he really focused on, he wanted the Space Force to operate fundamentally differently than the other military services. He said, Clint, we have an opportunity to do something really different here. And so we laid out a plan for the Space Force to be the first truly digital service. And so most of what we built initially, and certainly what they've been building since I retired, and in some ways we're helping even my current capacity, is helping the Space Force become a truly digital service that leverages advanced technologies uh, in a way that they can do because they're smaller and more flexible and more focused than other services. And I think that's really exciting. Um, let me uh, take you to uh, the question about data. Um, you guys uh, obviously are a data company, a company as AWS and indeed uh, support uh, customers around the world, 62, 63 trillion, uh, billion dollar companies, excuse me. Although I know that you guys would like to be valued at the trillion. So I, I know you'll, you'll get there eventually, sir. Um, what, what, how do you balance the delicate issue of, of data rights uh, in this entire equation? You know, we're finding often um, that the data rights become a real hang up for people. And even in, for example, testing services and even in the hypersonic field, right? An issue becomes about whether or not uh, the, the person who's doing the testing for you gets access to those data rights and how do you protect them? From your standpoint, what's the delicate balance here and how do you work uh, that issue at a time, for example, when the customer wants to retain as much rights over its data, for example, uh, as, it, as it wants? How do you guys navigate that? Uh, well, I'm really proud of the way that AWS navigates that. And, and the answer is very simple when it comes to data rights is our customers own 100% of the rights to their data everywhere, all the time, in all cases. Um, so our customers determine where they put the data. Our customers determine who can see the data. Our customers determine who has access to the data. And the default answer is never us at AWS. Uh, you know, I'm fortunate that we're, we're supporting hundreds and hundreds of companies in the space industry today, helping them learn how to leverage the cloud. And I don't have access to any of their data. And that's a hallmark. And we do that on purpose. Security sure. is job one. And we take that seriously every day. And the customer owns the security and owns the data. Uh, and they determine who has access to data. So I just want to make sure that we, we made that very clear. We're very proud of that approach. But the second piece all about the data, I loved how you said that. You know, my whole career, 33 years on active duty, uh, was flying satellites and launching rockets. And, and Vago, as much as I love flying satellites and launching rockets, it's not about the satellites and rockets. At the end of the day, as you said, it's all about the data. 
It's all about how we can use space data to support maritime safety or agriculture or climate management or wildlife protection or food security, or in the cases of national security and intelligence, right? And, and so um, when you look at it, at the end of the day, uh, the space industry will be bringing down petabytes and petabytes of data in the coming months, weeks, and days. We will get to a position here in the next decade where we'll be bringing down petabytes of data every day. And, and just for your listeners, as a reminder, a petabyte is a million gigabytes. So we will be bringing millions and millions of gigabytes down a day. And there's just no way to manage that process it, understand it, disseminate it, leverage it for informational purposes or decision insights without advanced technical tools and capabilities like artificial intelligence and machine learning. And that's what AWS is really good about, taking large volumes of data and turning them into secure and rapid insights for our customers. So at the end of the day, it is all about the data. I can't endorse that uh, sentiment more because I think people have a tendency of thinking of, of space, for example, and it is really cool, right? It is rocket science. It's fascinating, but at the end of the day, it's about moving data and to understand what the, that space infrastructure is actually undersea cables, uh, it's cloud storage facilities, it's the downlink terminals, right? It's not just the notion of satellites that are elegantly flying through space and supporting themselves with lives that span decades, uh, but is really the architecture that allows you to benefit uh, from, from that data. In, in order to create this ecosystem, sir, Ultimately, the data has to be in the right form. I know the Pentagon has been working on more uniform data standards. We have the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center, for example, the Jake that's been working um, to, to put the data in usable form. N nobody has more data on the planet than the United States Air Force. And yet not all of that data is in a form that we can actually tap, unlock, and get benefit from. How are we doing in terms of creating the data, the foundational data rules that allow everybody to be on the same page because even AWS with all of the capacity that you bring to bear, if the data is not in particularly usable form, it's not in usable form, right? You're not, you're not able to tap and unlock that uh, power for, for your customer. How are we doing in this and what more do we need to be doing to make sure you guys can help the customer the way the customer wants to be helped? Yeah. And, and again, that's a super question. And you're absolutely right. We've got so much data. We're getting to the point where literally in some cases, we, we don't know what to do with it all. Right. And we're leaving some of the data on the cutting room floor, if you will. Uh, and, and as I said, that's going to grow. Right. That's it's going to grow incrementally, uh, astronomically, space pun intended. But here's a couple of things. So, so one of the things we're really excited about is we're seeing so many space, aerospace and geospatial companies recognize the value of the cloud and how they can build and innovate and grow their missions on the cloud such that we're seeing such a large magnitude of those. At AWS, we've been able to take on the role sort of as data integrator, right? So as an example, we had two companies that went through the space accelerator last year, Hawkeye 360, which does RF, radio frequency from space, and URSA, which is a geospatial information company. And so because they both build on AWS and they both went through our accelerator and learned how to leverage our tools and capabilities together, they built an integrated data set that allowed them to do what really amounts to integrated tipping and queuing or multi-int, multi-intelligence tipping and queuing uh, because they could pass it all inside the AWS platform where we have common standards and we can move the data 
really anywhere in the world uh, uh, instantaneously or near instantaneously with the large scope and speed uh, uh, of our uh, system and capability. And then, you know, in terms of space and supporting space and thinking about the Space Force and the Air Force, you know, one of the things that we're really excited about is the Air Force and now the Space Force has taken over, created what we call the Unified Data Library a few years ago at the very beginning of looking at cloud. And this is an integrated data link on AWS that allows the Space Force to bring in what we call space situational data or SSA or space domain awareness data that allows us to rapidly move data around, make sense of data and understand what's happening uh, on orbit in a meaningful way. So we're already seeing uh, some of these taking place. There's much, much more we need to do. We're at the early days of cloud adoption. Uh, across the DOD, the intelligence community and commercial space for that matter. But the good news I think is, is we have a number of innovative companies like those that applied for our space accelerator that are out there pushing the boundaries on what we can do. You're part of a giant commercial enterprise that's trying to tap a vast uh, global market. And every commercial company looks at the government business uh, with curiosity, and then the peculiarities of doing business with the Pentagon with horror uh, sometimes. Um, you're a tiny piece of what is actually a vast uh, commercial enterprise. Um, do, does, does, the, does the parent company understand these nuances and, and, and you know, back uh, that investment in a way, right? Because every company has to judge where its investment dollars are going to go ultimately, right? I mean, is it to tap maybe a, a smaller uh, slice or, or maybe even a bigger slice of a smaller market than the broader commercial uh, market? Um, do, do, you, do you face that challenge or is senior leadership at the company sort of completely understanding that this is a little bit of an odd market, but an important market and one that they're willing to back General Crozier as he has to navigate, brave this uh, complicated tumultuous world sometimes. Yes. Well, uh, Vago, I, what I really appreciate about AWS, just quite frankly, was uh, AWS saw the value of advanced cloud technology technologies to the commercial world, right? And, and I've gone through a couple of those examples. There are many, many more we could do. But, but AWS came to the conclusion that why shouldn't the government and the citizens the government supports be able to take advantage of those same innovative capabilities, advanced technologies that reduced costs, by the way, from operating your own on-premise capabilities. And so about 10 years ago, AWS committed uh, to developing what we call the worldwide public sector. So we have a very large dedicated part of the AWS family that supports specifically and deliberately government organizations, both here in the United States and around the world, because again, we wanted to make sure that those government customers and the citizens they support have the same access to advanced technologies and reduce costs as commercial companies do. And I'm really proud of that. And I think it makes a big difference. Um, let me ask you one last question. Where do you uh, want this business to be in five years? And what is it gonna take to get you there? So the space industry is growing so fast and it's so exciting, but we just announced uh, a couple of weeks ago that uh, Blue Origin, one of the companies we support, uh, won a contract with NASA to build the first commercial space station in world history, right? And so Blue Origin and Sierra Space have come to AWS and partnered with AWS so that we can provide the networks, the communications, the cloud computing capability on orbit on the International Commercial Space Station called Orbital Reef. And so where do we wanna be in five years? If you think about moving the boundary 
of what humans can do in space further and further off the planet. And you think about humans living in space, operating in space, doing research and development, science, in-orbit manufacturing, entertainment in space, right? For those people that live, you can think about all the ways you need to push advanced technologies that we support here on Earth into space and closer to those space platforms. And that's gonna keep us busy for the next five years for sure. But that's a really exciting future that we envision. Uh, and, and of course, Blue Origin, uh, the uh, company founded by Amazon's founder, Jeff Bezos, uh, and certainly uh, been uh, uh, completely autonomously sending people into suborbital flight. But I know that orbital flight is right around the corner for you guys as well. Uh, General, thanks so very much for spending so much time with us. Absolute pleasure having you on the program. Look forward to having you back on again uh, in the future. Thanks so much and best of luck and congratulations to all the uh, awardees. Thank you, Vago, and thanks again for having us anytime. And now a word from our sponsor, retired United States Army Major General Jeff Schlosser, who is the Executive Vice President for Strategic Pursuits at Bell. We've been building creative and innovative aircraft, next generation types of capabilities for almost nine decades. Bell is the company that can deliver that. Thanks very much, sir. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please follow our daily podcasts and visit the Defense and Aerospace Report website to subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook at Defense and Aerospace Report, and check us out on LinkedIn. And stay tuned for our weekly cyber report sponsored by Northrop Grumman. Thanks again to Bell for their generous sponsorship, and we'll see you again tomorrow.